Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to discuss whether the government should prioritize helping the startups to survive the crisis. We are also going to hear from Tonic App, that is a healthcare startup from Portugal, and Startup Hansa, an ecosystem building initiative from Poland. Today's episode is brought to you by Lark. If you are managing a remote team, you might want to try this next generation office suite. Lark seamlessly brings together chat, video conferencing, docs, calendar, and so much more. You can enjoy smooth video calls for up to 100 participants with unlimited minutes and advanced screen sharing. Get started for free at larksuite.com slash techEU. Again, that's L-A-R-K-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash T-E-C-H-E-U. So, should the governments across Europe make saving the startups a priority? Most of the startups seem to think so, but not all of them. Today I'm joined by Anton van Acht, uh, the serial entrepreneur from Belgium and also an angel investor in TechEU itself, who does not share the prevalent opinion. Hi Anton, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. Hi Andre. So, we will dig into this topic in just a little bit, but first let's take a three-minute break to catch up with the latest European tech news, courtesy of our reporter Annie Musgrove. Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of TechEU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. The European Commission and European Investment Fund are launching ESCALAR, which stands for European Scale-Up Action for Risk Capital. The program will invest in funds that invest in scale-ups. For this pilot, Escalar will have a total investment envelope of 300 million euros, and the maximum amount that can go to a single fund is 100 million. The idea here is that the investment from Escalar could supposedly enhance the risk-adjusted returns to LPs, attracting investors to the asset class. Interested fund managers need to apply on the EIF website by June 30th. Avira, a cybersecurity company based out of Germany, has been acquired by InvestCorp at a total valuation of 180 million US dollars, TechCrunch reports. Avira is mostly known by its consumer antivirus software, but it also provides identity management and other tools, both to consumers and as a white label service for a number of big tech brands. InvestCorp's plan is to help Avira make acquisitions in a wider security consolidation play. The deal will involve InvestCorp's taking a majority ownership in Avira, with its founder, Tjark Auerbach, retaining a, quote, significant stake. Index Ventures, the VC firm with dual headquarters in London and San Francisco, today announced the closing of $2 billion U.S. dollars into two new funds. The first fund is called Index Ventures 10 and totals $800 million. The second one, Index Growth 5, closed at $1.2 billion. Index says the new funds will invest in companies across a variety of sectors, but, quote, focus on those that are fundamentally transforming the way we live and work, as well as those providing the enterprise infrastructure and AI to underpin these changes in the society and economy. Index also announced that it's appointed its newest partner, Nina Achajian, who's been with the firm since 2017. French Competition Authority, or FCA, says that Google must pay French publishers to link to articles on French news sites, Ars Technica reports. France was the first country to transpose the EU's copyright directive into national law. Google tried to work around the regulation by removing snippets and only using the headline of a story in its search results, but the publishers weren't satisfied and complained to the FCA. On Thursday, the authority made a preliminary ruling prescribing Google to negotiate a non-zero payment rate with the publishers and also pay them retroactively going back to October 2019. 
Google said that it will comply with the FCA's order while reviewing it and continuing the negotiations. The annual slush conference, expected to happen in November in Helsinki, has been canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Instead, Slush is planning to, quote, pursue our mission of helping founders in new ways this year, said Mika Hutunen, who assumed the role of Slush CEO earlier this year. The organizers haven't opened ticket sales for the 2020 event yet, so they won't have to deal with refunds. The team is planning to bring the physical event back in 2021 and to keep developing online products in the meantime. UK-based privacy startup Privatar has raised 80 million US dollars in a Series C round of funding led by Warburg Pincus, VentureBeat reports. The other participants in the round were Excel, Partech, IQ Capital, Salesforce Ventures, and ABN AMRO Ventures. Privatar helps companies embed privacy protection into their data projects. For example, it can embed invisible watermarks into protected data, so that if any of the data is distributed without authorization, it can be easily tracked back to whoever's responsible. These were some of the most important European tech news stories from the week of April 6th. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre. Thank you so much, Annie. Now we are all caught up and we can jump into the controversial topic of governmental bailouts. If you are a subscriber of our Insider Weekly newsletter, which you should be, of course, uh, you will have seen that we included a handful of stories on that very topic in the latest edition that went out uh, last uh, Friday. Startups and VCs in Belgium, in the UK, and in the Netherlands are sending passionate letters to the authorities. They emphasize the importance of the startup ecosystems as innovation and business drivers and actually propose actionable ideas of how to better provide a financial lifeline to the struggling companies. However, as I already said, not everyone within the entrepreneurial community supports these ideas, and a few days ago I read an interesting self-proclaimed unpopular opinion uh, by our today's guest Ton, and at the very beginning of a long tweet storm he argued that, I quote, as professional risk takers, we, that is entrepreneurs, should humbly queue at the very end of the government's safety lines and align with economy-wide measures. So, Don, to just provide a little bit of more context to this conversation, can you give me some brief background on uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. With pleasure, Andre. I've been an entrepreneur since the ending of the 90s. So uh, I did my first startup in 1999, uh, which was a marketplace to find good contractors. Uh, so if you have a home Im- improvement project, you would go to this website, which was called uh, kzs.be. And we're also active in the Netherlands. Uh, I was 27 when I started that company and I raised uh, 4 million euro back in those days before 2002. So I survived a dot-com crash. That was an interesting period and probably uh, one of the reasons why I'm taking this uh, unpopular stance now because back then the governance didn't bail us out either and we did manage to survive. So that's point one. Uh, As many entrepreneurs, uh, when you find a problem in your business, you try to solve it. Uh, At some point in time, I managed to buy back my startup from the VC uh, and I didn't pay four million for it either, because as, as many people know or actually don't know, I was one amongst those, is that funds are set up with a certain lifetime. And so if your startup joins a fund which has been running for two, three years as a, as a and they're the main uh, lead investor, and they want to close uh, four or five years later, because the aging of their fund was, let's say, seven, eight years, which is a typical period uh, still nowadays, then the, yeah, the leading partners will look at a portfolio and see which ones have matured, which one have exited, and which one are actually still uh, something that hasn't matured as much as we, we want. Of course, plenty of them have fallen out. You know the, the, the stats on that, the average lifetime in 
startups is much smaller than people um, uh, surviving uh, COVID-19. Yeah, so let's not forget about that either. So I I, uh, I was in one of those uh, funds, not the first uh, batch, and so we managed to buy back our company from the VC because at that point in time nobody wanted to touch B2C startups. So this is another big lesson. You think this is big drama now? There's huge opportunities. I wouldn't be surprised if other entrepreneurs are going to be able to buy back their companies. They will not have grown as big as they might have imagined when they did their first round, but they'll have nice companies. And today, I'm still very proud of this uh, Casius company, which is active in the Netherlands and Belgium. I'm no longer operational active in there, but I still own half of the shares in the company. And it's employing about 20 full-time people in offices in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, and in Belgium uh, in, uh, near Lokeren. So uh, this is a nice thing. I had my first employee who retired after 20 years. Yeah. Of course, when you start as a startup owner, you are not thinking about people are joining my team and they will, will retire in 20 years. I'm still going to be around as a shareholder. But this is part of the perspective I had. And probably uh, it's important to point it out. Uh, I don't want to sound like a granddad to other startups, but it probably shapes my unpopular, unpopular opinion. That's for first point. The second startup I did is a lean startup because I didn't want to end up at that point in time again with a VC without knowing what I was doing because that's basically when you're a first-time entrepreneur and you tank up with VC money, there is this sort of courting dance and there you're a very... Uh, persuasive your dream idea and you manage to convince them with you and you start this unforeseen ride with many setbacks and pivots that nobody could have imagined when you started that ride. Yeah. And so uh, when I did my second startup, we're you know, fast forwarding to 2008, it's called data.be and this startup is uh, structuring all the Belgian business information and providing it to structured API so you can include them in your CRM or ERP software, or uh, use them to do KYC uh, operations for fintech. So we are a Belgian, we were part of the, the founders of the Belgian fintech uh, Belgium ecosystem. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we remain very active in trying to share uh, structured business information for all those who want to provide uh, PSD2 services and beyond. And the third startup I did is called Lex.be, L-E-X, uh, and that one is providing uh, legal collaboration tools for legal professionals. So we're talking about uh, um, law professionals from paralegals to lawyers to judges to, the, to everybody uh, who needs to check on the law and the case law. So th th I would say those are the, the three babies that I've, uh, <laughs> where I was present at the, the, the Genesis. And then as a, I, I didn't exit any of my companies, but I made good money while I was working in them. And so I do a little bit of in angel investments and, and TechEU was one of them. I also count Robin, the co your co-founder, uh, among uh, among my personal friends too. Uh, well, at least I, I, I certainly consider among my personal friends. So that's uh, that's uh, yeah the reason I, I, I joined TechEU. I have a strong belief that he would make this into something special. And, and again, TechEU is a media company. You're going to be heavily impacted by COVID uh, as well. Uh, you also pivoted to new services uh, very quickly. So, yeah, I think that shows, mm, to come back to the core message, uh, it was a little bit toned, and I, I think it still is. Um, and I was truly shocked by that, that many of those calls pretend startups to be this very special case of company that we can't live without as a society. And I think if the coronavirus has showed us one thing, that there's many other industries, not starting with healthcare, and not to forget those, but we've been underinvesting in healthcare for a long, in the healthcare industry for a long time. Uh, we now see many people who are considered 
critical uh, jobs, critical workers in underpaid jobs that we've looked down up for a long time as society in general. Uh, they were not important, and these people put their personal lives at risk to service in shops and everything between that and uh, getting food on our tables. And so I find it tone deaf that we and, and we between brackets uh, are, are, are finding ourselves so important to put our cause above those of the entire society. There is educational needs. There's a lot of poverty. We've had a, a huge divide in our societies in the past. And so I do not think that uh, startups of whom, whom, I mean, many of the people who signed this list in Belgium and, and also internationally, I know them personally. Some of them are big fans of Ayn Rand, the Atlas Shrugged methodology. Yeah, these same people who've always been pleading for a minimal state and make your own fortune and nobody should intervene. Those very same people who say, don't ask for permission, but ask for forgiveness. We are a platform. We're not a taxi company. We're not a hotel business. We're not. Those very same people are reaching out to this evil government that's slowing them down to get saved with government bailouts, which is basically my children and generations behind them will pay for many of the crazy ideas of self-proclaimed uh, success cases. And that's what, what really honestly shocks me. The second point is I am not at all against government interventions. Yeah? I, I, I hope that my piece was more balanced than this. I'm actually pointing startups, especially the Belgian ones, to the many existing uh, grant uh, plans, the Horizon 2020s and others, which is the European way of doing innovation. And, and myself and some of my companies have applied to those grants and I even uh, scored some of them. So I'm, I'm not the hypocrite who says I don't want government to intervene. I'm actually pointing at many of my friends who say, you're a little bit of a hypocrite because you proclaim capitalism, you start a startup, which means you are taking risk. And the upward part of taking risk is if it turns out well. But if the downward part means you go bankrupt, that's part of doing a startup, and that's perfectly normal. There should be no shame about that. So you seem to be particularly against uh, the idea that was f that was voiced uh, by the Belgian entrepreneurs, and that their idea, if I'm not mistaken, was that the government would contribute 75 percent, uh, where the where a, a VC would contribute 25 percent of a funding round for startups, right? Absolutely. So that means that if you find 100,000 euro, the government is going to add another 300,000 euro. It's unclear. This, this is one of the, yeah, I think the shortcomings of this proposal. There were no links to at which rates, at which collaterals, for which time, what are the, the, the payback conditions, uh, the, <laughs> the rates and that. So it was just a general call saying like, okay, we think that if you have a startup and you find somebody putting in 100,000 or 1 million, the government should put in 3 million. So here's 4 million of fresh cash, cash to, yeah, to bridge the dead valley caused by coronavirus. And um, you don't, I mean, entrepreneurs are, 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 are good in finding ways uh, around system. They will do the same here. If I can find 100,000 and you can find 100,000, you know what? I'll put 100,000 in your company. You'll put 100,000 in my company. We each get the 300,000. Now there's 600,000 euro of government money going into our two startups. Yeah. So this is like the way it was presented is either uh, naive or it must have been. And I've, they've reached out to me, the people who wrote some of the initiatives. I said I'm, I've been very active in the Belgian ecosystem. And so I've been 
not pissing off, but yeah, some people reacted really aggressively and angrily at my message saying like, you should shut up. You've had your time. You're 40 years old. Um, uh, this time is ours. None of us could have anticipated the risk of a coronavirus. So uh, please stop being a criti a cri criticizing our, our justified demands to get a government bailout. I don't, I mean, this message goes against my own interest. Yeah, I'm, I'm a shareholder of and a co-founder of three active startups. I'm in several ones as an angel, angel investor. Um, all of them are impacted uh, in good or in bad ways. And I think even many people who signed that list, I, I mean, one of the spokespersons two days after signing list came out with a, with a hooray a press release. Uh, our business is booming. People are buying local farming products. Yeah, so I was like, why do you even sign this list if your business is booming because people are buying uh, their shopping online at local farmers through your platform? You shouldn't be asking for government money. You should go down on your knees of being on the good side of this crisis. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm really having a tough time. Um, I've had several people reach out to say that after reading my tweet storm, they regretted having signed um, the, the position, and but there was no re and there was no button to revoke your your support. Yeah, so once you sign, there's a lot of fear of missing out. There's very famous Belgian entrepreneurs on that list, and so uh, many people feel they have to sign it not to be left out and they also feel if they don't sign it they shouldn't uh, qualify for the government support afterwards so i'm not saying there shouldn't be government support i'm saying it should not be tailored for startups there's vcs to do that right but oh, from what i can see uh, in uh, belgium also in the netherlands in the uk a lot of uh, governmental support uh, for business it just happens to not include startups at all uh, with uh, one uh, requirements or the other startups just don't fit you know it depends uh, in belgium actually not so all the existing programs continue so already if today an angel investor puts money in a startup there are certain conditions around this but they already recover 60 percent of that investment through their taxes so if you've been a tax contributor in belgium up to 60% of your investment, and there's, up, there's upper limits, of course, and, uh, and there's some conditions on what qualifies as a startup, but up to 60% of the month is already recovered. Secondly, in Belgium, if you have a startup and you do find private investment, you can today already double that with government funding through, uh, through um, yeah, loan, a loan system of regional investment uh, vehicles set up by the government. So there is no shortage of existing plans if through, through instances that have been used to, to vet those files that that know what is a startup what which ones are likely to survive what what this call was asking for is that it is enough to find a private investor putting thousand in amount and let's go back to the hundred thousand if you find the three people with thirty three thousand that'll get you a long way too and you can keep dividing that to as many fools friends family friends and fools as you want of course but um these plans already exist and when i i had a I mean, I've had many calls in the past week, but uh, had one with the the, the the Belgian Angel Network, B Angels, they're called, and they said, no, "Our angels are continuing to invest. They didn't stop any of their investments." I, I there's a there's a press release from Fortino who's just set up a new a huge fund at early stage at seed investing. So they say we're gonna be looking at helping those companies. So even the young ones starting out without revenues, there is fresh capital available to you at in local funds. So I really find it uh, weird that the VCs who are used of taking risk would now pull out and say, basically, there's too many uncertainties in the market. We're no longer, we, we're, we're putting all risk taking, uh, we're putting it on hold or we're misusing the situation to make huge haircuts and valuations and we're going to take down and we're going to take more shares for less money. I mean, that's, of 
it's something that's happening. I hear it around me, um, but uh, it's part of the market. There's there's offer and demand. If you if the if your lender of last result is a is a VC who wants twice as much shares as they wanted in February, I say okay, too bad for you. That's life. You know, it's like. You were closed, no cigar. You waited too long in negotiating with all these different VCs. You had a good term sheet in February, and and now it's not materializing. Take the the result of that. Lower your price. Raise less. Look at your cost. Look at which revenues you can secure. Look how you can pivot your business model. It is painful, but I've been through it, and many of us have been, and we're supposed to go through this. We're startup entrepreneurs. Not capitalist crybabies who go like, (laughs) money right up. The government needs to give me unlimited. I mean, times three is not realistic to me. I see. But I mean, I do kind of understand why uh, the entrepreneurs might uh, want to get this support. And partly that is because, uh, let's say, Germany or France are actually implementing uh, certain measures that are uh, given more than uh, whatever is being given now by the Belgian government or the Dutch or the British government. Yeah, that's the race to the bottom, and and it's 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 one of the I've put it in as a I don't know if this is saying as as a bemol they say in French, you know I put it in as a, as a note of maybe one of the exception cases where I will I will have to learn to live with this government support because there is a race to the bottom between member states in Europe to start uh, putting huge amounts of money in their local startup ecosystems and 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 startups directly is the new type of state aid and and. Yeah, the the the, the, regul- and the regulatory oversight and the European Commission are probably gonna allow it because we cannot deny that the startup industry is an employer. Uh, it is not a big taxpayer, but it is an employer and thus paying social security taxes in, in normal times. Uh, and there are, of course, some uh, some some very promising startups that will fail because of not having the liquidity they need. And so. Um, I can understand, and I, I didn't take the full stance against state support. I'm taking the full stance against the fact, like, why wouldn't a hotel and a, a travel agency and a, and, a, and a bar and a restaurant, why wouldn't they be the bailout conditions for these companies? There's no problem for me for a startup to to to, to run along with similar rules and payback conditions. Yeah? So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with us as startup asking for a special niche of uh, three times top off on any private capital without clear conditions and risk uh, linked to it yeah and, and 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 so yeah if this race to the bottom is happening and i clearly see over the last week and week and a half nation states start doing the what what uh, nation states do they they look for advantages for their country to be stronger after the crisis and to to make sure that they're not going to miss out on the next wave of innovation and so they, yes they caved into demands for special support uh, and some states are doing this in an extremely generous way and so there's a race to the bottom i mean we're asking for three times maybe another country does five times maybe somebody gives free loans for a year some will link it to the, the revenues or the little revenues you had and I, I i personally think it should be linked to employment if you do that so the only way to justify this uh, amount of government funding is you say okay startups are um, prospective and good employers uh, and, 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 and they learn a lot to those employees because you give a lot of responsibility. So they're, they're great at shortening the, yeah, the learning curve for many people who join them. So I have no problem in linking that to the, the wages, but then probably there also needs to be a discussion about what do we find a reasonable wage. 
hence going back to my the beginning of my 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 arguments many of those critical workers who were working in what used to be uh, considered as uh, low uh, low skill jobs they earn relatively low incomes compared to many of us in startups and so do we find it justified that those people risking their personal lives in 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 in, in bailing out society every day by going to their jobs where we can work remotely from behind our you know, keyboards and screens uh, do we find it normal that a startup earns somebody in startup earns five six times more, and that we're going to bail it out with government? So I think that if this is a crisis and your startup cannot raise private funds, there should be a discussion. If you take this unique helpline from the government, it should one be very painful to limit to just keep you motivated enough to succeed your company, but without this government help, you would not have a company. So. I'm, I haven't figured out the right level there yet. It will probably be different for every person. But and secondly, the employment part, we need to have discussions to which level of monthly fees are you going to pay all that talent on your staff? I think there will be a clear conditions linked to that. And that you as a government take over the part of those wages for a period. And then we're going to go to, I mean, look at Germany. They used to have the Treuhand uh, after the unification of the two Germanys. They set up a unique uh, special purpose vehicle that was managing all the Eastern European uh, industrial assets, and they sold them off after a while. Um, so government intervened, nationalized, and then went into the private market. I, I think that we should probably look at setting up, if you go that way, and again, this is a big if, huh? you, if you've heard the first part of this interview, uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but if due to a race to the bottom and nation states absolutely wanting to save those crazy uh, risky ventures, Many of them not profitable enough to 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 adapt to survive uh, three, six, uh, twelve months due to the Corona setback. Then uh, I definitely would hope it's linked to uh, special purpose vehicles in the government who will take shares as a final collateral and who will sell them off. Because otherwise, you will just have you're bailing out VCs and founders at very interesting conditions. And uh, for example, in Belgium, there's no capital gain tax. So afterwards, those who selling those shares. They will not even have paid taxes on that. Although the risk was built up by the government. So maybe my, my position is too much um, given in by this unique situation in Belgium where there is no uh, capital gain tax. And at the same time, uh, this call for three times top up uh, uh, funding uh, for startups. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I remain shocked by these messages of like, look at us poor startups. The VCs are no longer returning our calls and we were spending so much money and the revenues take longer than we ever could have thought. And we find no single way to reduce our costs and change our business model to make revenues in the short term. I mean, it goes against everything a startup stands for or a scale up. I see. Do you think uh, do you think we're going to learn uh, more about the governmental response to this call within the next week or two? Uh, how long is it going to take? Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, look at this call. And just in Belgium, there's now over a thousand startups that signed it. There, there is a strong call for this. And there's, there's, there's people I actually like on the personal level and admire that signed this list. Yeah? So they're having a huge impact on governments who are now looking at ways, and I don't know the exact terms of the French and the German and the, the Dutch call uh, on how they will secure this, this risk balancing. If you put money in those risky startups, there should be a huge return for taking that risk. That's the same thing with the bank. We nationalized banks and afterwards the government sold them. Uh, and they actually made money on that in most countries. Yeah? So the, the, the bad parts were put in the, the bad bank structure in each nation state and the good parts were being sold back. And if in the, while the governments were holding on to the shares, they made very good dividends. Now, dividends are not something that startups are known for paying out. 
but uh, yeah, so the, the most of the funding is purely uh, aimed at doing multiples on valuations in the longer term and finding an exit level, whether it is an IPO or whether it is to an industrial partner or by some bigger startup to be eaten up or integrated or however you want to call the joint venture um, uh, formula they found. And also there, there is no shame to any startup that joins um, a larger cash-rich group now to say like, okay, we thought we were on our own, we're not good enough. There's plenty of companies who missed digital transformation who are reaching out to startups now. There's plenty of startups who've been working remote with online digital tools who can make good money even during a COVID crisis. Yeah? So all the SaaS companies, they've been doing it for years. So people are using more and more of these tools. I mean, we, we're using a, a SaaS tool right now to record uh, <laughs> to record this session. So, I mean, there's plenty of people out there from the Zooms to all the collaborative work suites to the, the more... Uh, niche uh, tools in B2B to B2C, uh, online platforms from food to e-commerce. I mean, this is, for certain of them, it's booming times. Good for them. Yeah. Right. You agree or you're on the fence on this one? I think think I'm still on the fence, honestly. I can't. So I do see your argument. I certainly agree with a lot of what you're saying. But I also, I don't know, maybe I have been following uh, the whole ecosystem for too long and maybe i'm just too attached to the idea of uh, uh, startups being the darlings of the uh, of the industry in general that i can't really say yeah just let them burn no i i can't i'm not saying let them burn i said don't let them have the same conditions as any other company in your country so if for example my, my i had a call with my sister she's an architect in france she's telling me that she can now get a free Uh, a free government loan for the same size as your company turnover last year. So they're taking the benchmark of last year's revenues, which you've declared for tax purposes, and you get a loan to the size of your revenues of last year to bridge your liquidity. It's depending the business you're in, you can consider, I mean, she's an architect. They build by the hour or by project or percentage. So it's it's a lot of money because it's basically one year of fees up front and you're still going to be working. On the other hand, the construction industry is heavily impacted. You can't go to your uh, construction site. So yeah, the, uh, the, she will be losing a lot of revenue. That's that's one very concrete measure I know through a family who's living abroad. I go like, wow, they've already uh, set that up. And she told me she already touched a 1,500 euro uh, government fund as a self-employed. They just wire that money into all the accounts of the self-employed that are known. So I'm, I'm definitely uh, in favor of government intervention in the tough times. I'm just saying don't carve this very unique advantage risk uh, buffer bailout plan for startups. Just use the regular ones you're use, using for the rest of your community. Okay, revenue side is going to be very hard for startups because many of them don't have a lot of revenues yet, and they're investing ahead of their revenue. So that's part of startup. That's part of the why you need a VC uh, and why it's venture capital and risky to do this. And again, uh, I would make the assumption, how come your VC no longer trusts you to make revenues that are offsetting the risk? And now you want the government to trust you to make those revenues. So if the government does that, the risk link to that should be somewhere in the equation which today i haven't seen in in the in the belgian call yet i will i will look next week at how this is panning out and i think that you will definitely look at it too and, and i would love to see a comparison 
on what are the metrics to which you make this honest and transparent because it has to apply. If you do this, and again, and this is a big if, and I need to be really convinced by governments why they would do this and not go for other societal priorities which are higher than startups but uh, and scale-ups, but if you do as a government, it needs to be very clear and the risk needs to be in there. And, and not forget, many of those people that will be built out now philosophically and ideologically, and this is really a big majority of them for years have said, dear nation states, dear governments, leave us alone. We're, 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 this is our game, you know? That's the, you, you can come and regulate this one we've all figured out. Uh, the 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 how would I say all the conditions around our industry, but we're still shaping it. So wait till we've shaped it, and then you can come and regulate us. Yeah, right. those very same people now have changed their whole ideology and are the first to call for government bailouts. I mean, <laughs> it is hypocritical, and many of them admit. Yes, they say it is hypocritical, but I think COVID is so unique that I'm allowed to bend my personal beliefs. Yeah? And I'm, well, maybe I'm an old timer or I'm too strict in this. I think COVID didn't change my views on society and I'm a risk-taking entrepreneur. And so it's one or the other. Right. But I, we, we adapt, we change our plans. I might go bankrupt. This is a real possibility. And again, I'm for, for Andrew, did, did, did you follow this? industry from 2008-9 crisis or was it after that a bit later a bit later yeah, so I, I i my feeling so i've i've had a lot of support from people who've been to crises and i think maybe this is part of the the mental tension between those calling for government support now and those who've who've, who've uh, and i put this between brackets who've been spoiled by financially good times valuations were crazy let's all agree on that we had crazy valuations in software as a service. We had crazy multiples. You couldn't, economists were looking at it like, like, how can this even be justified to have 20-fold ARR uh, multiples on, on, on a startup that's growing? Yeah, I mean, the, the, nothing has been proven so far. Um, there's early traction, and, and yet these multiples were going through the roof. We're probably going to go to more realistic uh, and market-compliant or economically justified multiples but again if you do a deal it just takes two fools to make a deal right so if both sides at the table agree that this is a market compliant rate it's a market compliant valuation today those very same people vcs will take advantage of this they will definitely lower and startups will have little choice or much less um, high valuations uh, options as they had before to to go with them and that's okay that's part of startup life there's good years there's good decades and there's bad decades we're gonna enter a very bad decade for risky upfront uh, funding for companies that haven't proven anything yet but on the other hand uh, that's okay i mean i i uh, i i was gonna do a deal I, w I was in new york on the 15th of september 2008 which is the day that lehman brothers fell and i had a meeting to sell off uh, an asset to to uh, inside venture partners, one of the very large American VCs at that point in time, and I think I should check this. We had like one billion under 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 management at that point in time, and I had my meeting at ten o'clock, and I arrived a little bit early in the lobby on on, uh, on Fifth Avenue, very fancy, and I was I was ready to sign my deal, and the people were running around. I was really like impressed, like wow, these Americans. I know they work hard, but like ten o'clock in the morning, sweating, having their ties because they were wearing still ties. <laughs> Some people in the office, their ties being uh, released from their necks, sweating. They're, they're, they're like, I was like, wow, these people, they really, really work hard. And so ten o'clock came, my appointment didn't show up. Eleven o'clock, somebody came down and said, listen, we're working very hard at opening bank accounts at dozens of American banks. 
We were not impacted by Lehman Brothers, but we had all our funds, available funds, at one single bank. And our leading partners have all come to the office to sign all the paperwork to open bank accounts at as many different banks that we uh, deem uh, to, to, to have good ratings, uh, credit ratings, so that our trusts are going to be secured if their bank was going to fall or need to be bailed out. So that's the amount of risk I lived through. And I can tell you that deal did not happen. This was like 500,000 euros gone for me. Like it was pre-agreed, the term seat wasn't signed. I was going there to sign the, 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 the final terms. And so, yeah, that never happened. And it didn't happen afterwards. Yeah? Close, but no cigar, as they say. But that's life. I'm still here. I'm still happy. I'm, I'm still doing what I like to do. It's like we adapt. Too bad. Yeah, I would have been a different, I would have financially been in a different situation. I'm still okay. I'm healthy. Let's not forget that people. We're healthy. People are fighting for their lives in emergency rooms right now. And we are hands reaching out our hands for very scarce revenue, government revenues, which generations after us are going to be paying for this. So be very thoughtful of that. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly shocked by that. Do you think that your children should be paying for the money you get today? Yeah, for those of us who have children, I mean, I, I don't want my children to bail me out. That's exactly what you're asking for as a startup entrepreneur. Adapt your plans. But then again, if government bills at other companies, startups are part of the economy, they should qualify for those conditions. And so if there's any measures that are linked to turnover from the past or that are linked to, to employment or part of your uh, salaries, I'm perfectly okay that governments support them. And yes, many startups and scale-ups will fail, but that's the fate. Let's not forget that. That's the fate of startups. And maybe a good thing comes out of it. Like in, in Belgium and Europe as a whole, we've always had this very bad image linked to failure. In the US, if you haven't failed once or twice, you can't be a good entrepreneur. You haven't learned anything, right? In Europe, if you fail, banks won't touch you. That's anyway. true. That's true. And many VTs will really want to understand why exactly, for what reason that you could not have helped or known or been helped with why you went under. And so I think that we'll have great entrepreneurs that will go bankrupt for the reason of COVID-19. And all they'll have to say is like, COVID-19, I didn't have the revenues. Uh, I didn't manage to find bridge financing. Here I am again. This time I need less cash and I will only spend that when I know where to make the revenues. It's going to, as I said, I've lived, this is my third crisis and I'm only 48, you know. I hope I have many great years ahead of me and great companies ahead of me. We learn in life. This is, it's like, you know, there's this famous quote of fail fast. It's learn fast. This is an extreme learning opportunity. Yeah. Right. And I think we'll come out stronger and better because of it as a startup ecosystem. But let's think of those people who got COVID-19 and are fighting for their survival. They're up first. Let's think about those other people who are working at risk, personal risk of their lives. I mean, we're just behind our keyboards, working from home, doing flattening the curve, you know? We're flattening the curve, let's flatten our valuations along, you know? That's, that's the, it's the, it's the, the consequence of that. Yeah, right. Tone, I get I get what you're saying. I get the argument, uh, and I will probably have to think about it for a few more days. Maybe I will I will come to agree to this. But for now, we are out of time for this uh, conversation. But I do hope that we will be able to come back to this after we hear more uh, from the Belgian government and the other governments being pressed for support by startups right now. For now, Tone, thank you so much for your insight and your opinion. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best with the things you're doing.
we'll, we'll be adapting and I hope everybody else will be. Yeah. So thank you, Andrea, and all the best to the TechEU podcast. Cheers. And we are about to move on to the two featured interviews of the day, and that comes after a word from our sponsor. Lark provides all the essential tools you need to run a team remotely. You can collaborate on docs with your teammates. Even during video calls, you can enjoy 200 gigabyte of free cloud storage and create chat groups for up to 5,000 people with unlimited searchable messages. Get started for free at larksuite.com slash techEU, that is L-A-R rksuite.com slash t-e-c-h-e-u. So next up in our agenda is an interview with the Tonic app, which is a Portuguese startup working in the healthcare sector that's dealing firsthand with many consequences of the COVID-19 outbreak. So hey, this is uh, Robin from Tech.eu. I'm here joined uh, remotely, of course, by Daniela Sexas, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Tonic App, uh, based in Porto and uh, in the medical space. Uh, Daniela, welcome to the show. Can you briefly um, talk about yourself and the company? Of course. Hi, Robin. So I'm a medical doctor myself. I founded Tonic App after 16 years of work in the hospital in academia. Uh, out of my uh, professional need and out of the professional need of uh, many other colleagues. So basically, at TonicApp, we're aggregating the best professional resources in a single mobile platform that are useful for doctors for the day-to-day. -day. What kind of resources are we talking about? Is it uh, information or is it also a communication tool? Well, actually, we're doing everything. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain. So we have clinical um, digital tools and also content. For example, um, clinical algorithms or uh, treatment or diagnosis decision trees. But we also have non-clinical resources like, for example, the medical news that we um, uh, do every week. And we also have, for example, jobs uh, that are so needed these days for medical doctors throughout Europe. Yeah. Forgive me for saying this, but it sounds like something that would have already been around on the market when you started the company. <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. Uh, there are several solutions like ours, but I think our secret is the, the curation we do. So nowadays, medical doctors, as everybody else, uh, are overwhelmed with the quantity of content they have online. So it's really useful if you do a good curation so, they, they, so that they can save their time and actually trust um, what they're reading. And is that uh, thanks to your uh, professional background as a medical doctor or does it also come with uh, technology? Well, uh, the technology helps, but I think it's really one of the secrets also of the team is that we, we understand really well the medical needs. Oh, great. So maybe talk about your team. How, how big is uh, your team now and then where do you have offices? Sure. We have offices in Porto because most of our work is, is it's digital throughout Europe. We are uh, 15. Uh, I'm counting if every, everything helps this year to reach 20 people. We have a strong tech team, uh, development, data science, uh, and also, you know, DevOps, etc. But we also have a very strong, uh, as expected, content team with medical doctors, PhDs, you know, uh, the needed uh, to support what we're doing with the content. What you also have is ambition to conquer Europe. I read that in an interview uh, with yourself um, that you are really, really um, keen on taking the European market. Uh, how's that going so far? 
Yes, absolutely. So the incumbents are mostly in the US in our space. And actually, Europe is quite uh, deserted in uh, like tonic app-like solutions. So uh, after proving ourselves in Portugal, our test market and our first market, we are now entering Spain and France. And actually, uh, the uptake in Spain is, do, is going really well. So in just a few months, we've got thousands of doctors. Yeah. And maybe just to stop dancing around the elephant in the room, uh, we have, of course, a global pandemic, uh, an outbreak uh, on our hands. So how has that affected you as a business? I'm guessing for the type of company that you are, this is actually not necessarily a bad thing. No, um, but before that, uh, I think this crisis touched us in uh, earlier than uh, most companies because we were seeing it coming, right, even when it was in China. So uh, Tonicap is housed in a um, um, startup community, and we were actually the ones that wrote the first recommendations for all the companies in, in, our, uh, in our offices, uh, and this was really important to get aware awareness in the tech community. So after that, we started immediately thinking on how we could further help uh, medical doctors or our users. Um, so we've developed uh, basically content sections in TonicApp, one fully dedicated to the content that uh, the government authorities publish every day uh, for Portugal and Spain and elsewhere. But we also have content about other diseases that nonetheless need, need to be managed during the COVID crisis. And I can give you a few examples. For example, patients with cancer, um, they have more restrictions that they cannot change their medicine so often, or how to deal with pregnant women or with children during the COVID crisis. So we saw the need. Doctors started immediately to ask about this type of content to help them in, on their day-to-day. We are also collaborating with other startups um, and with pro bono projects that came up during the crisis, for example, in facilitating access to doctors to platforms that provide free lodging for displaced doctors um, uh, in, in their respective countries, or, for example, um, with other technological platforms who are trying to track um, the spread of the disease and so keep them uh, as as much as possible well-informed and with the resources they need to tackle this crisis. Great. And I've also seen in Portugal some initiatives like uh, Tech for COVID, where basically the resources of the tech community are being bundled and centralized, uh, which I think is, is quite admirable. Yes, that's actually a, a huge effort. It started off with few startups. We are included in, in, in that uh, initiative. And now it has more than 3,000 people. Um, the best tech talent in Portugal. And we are working in more than 15 projects that range from a buying, um, uh, distributing uh, hospital material and other protection material for from technological platforms for lodging, for um, the, to tracking patients, uh, and also to support um, you know, uh, the society in other ways, like providing food for the elderly, um, you know, among many other initiatives. Yeah, it's really fantastic to see. Um, I'm quite fascinated by the by what you said about, you know, sort of seeing the crisis unfold in real time um, because that's what you do. Um, do you think, like, from your perspective, to the extent that you can comment on that, do you think, like, the European governments have been um, quick enough to act on this, given the information that we've uh, received? 
Well, I would say this is except, exceptional times, right? Um, so even if you have all the information, um, you see what's happening in, in, in China and in South Korea, it's sometimes difficult to really understand uh, the huge impact that this would have on all of us, on the healthcare systems. And, and we still don't, I don't think we still haven't grasped the full extent of this crisis. So I don't, especially in Europe, I don't blame uh, our governments for being slow. I think they're doing whatever they can. And actually the, the civil society is also supporting them a lot. So what I hope now is that Europe uh, as a whole unites even more and, and tackles the crisis together. Great. Um, as a company, how are you dealing with the crisis? I'm guessing everyone's working remotely, but has it changed a lot in terms of the daily operations? Well, actually, we, we I think like most startups, we are fully remote now. We're working full capacity. We are healthy uh, so far. Um, so I would say that operations are a bit different, but um, we're okay on that re regard. Also, because of the nature of this crisis, because it's medical, we're actually acquiring uh, larger numbers of doctors and having their more engaged, although differently engaged. So they're spending more time on the COVID resources and less on the other resources. Um, we also work with many other health healthcare partners. And what we've seen is that there is more interest in digital platforms like ours. So I'm also hoping that we grow our business during these difficult times. Nonetheless, we are working uh, pro bono in many initiatives like the Tech for COVID, also working with the Health Cluster Portugal uh, and other and the authorities in general um, to, to do whatever we can um, during the pandemic. Great. Well, that's a very good overview. Um, you also raised a funding last summer, I believe, 3.5 million euros. Is that going to last you for a while? Yes, we were yeah we were the lucky ones right because we've closed the run not so long ago, so we still have a runway for for some time. But I wouldn't be a good CEO if I wasn't thinking that we also need to protect cash right uh, because we have an economic crisis ahead that we don't know how long it will last. So one of the things we already did, for example, is applying to EU grants, especially because we're working in COVID, which is of their interest right now. I hope that by being counter-cyclical and being more cash conscious, we, we survive the crisis actually or even grow uh, during um, this year. And great. Um, now, imagine that there would not be a crisis and you would see Tonacap in about 12 months. What, what would have changed? Like, what do you want to build or build out in terms of product? Sure. So we, we want to make the product even more useful to all medical doctors. And we are uh, extending uh, the way we are working to other healthcare partners, as I said. So we're now working with medical publishers, pharma companies, medical devices companies, uh, provi care providers, of course, the medical doctors themselves, but also patients, so that they can have the best resources there are out there uh, in Tanicap. We are also working towards the, the patients. Uh, because we have content also in Tonic Cap that doctors can share directly by email through the app with their patients. It's like a um, digital uh, prescription of content that uh, patients can trust. So we're going to push that uh, even further throughout this year. 
Great. And what about international expansion? Uh, to attack a new market, uh, so to speak, is it just a matter of translating in the local language or is there more to it? No, there's more to it, as you understood. So uh, it's not simply about translating. There is some, some work we need to do to adapt to, e to each country, to each, uh, the, the, the doctor's needs locally, but we can move uh, pretty fast. So uh, by the end of this year, I'm hoping to reach France and maybe Italy. Uh, it's also in our plans. Great. Uh, maybe as a final question, um, enlighten me on the startup ecosystem over in Porto or more broadly Portugal, if you if you wish. Uh, how's it going? What's going on there? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, uh, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, so <laughs> actually, uh, it has been flourishing for the past years. Obviously, we're a small country, a small market, but it's really a great market to test. Um, the technology talent is really superb. Um, we are not a very expensive country, so we are actually uh, assisting. Um, we are actually watching other companies coming from other European countries to to move to Portugal uh, over the past uh, months. Um, also, obviously, it's a great place to live, sunny, um, with you know housing uh, and talent, as I said. So yes, uh, it's uh, a good ecosystem to be in. Yeah, you're selling it very well. I'm very uh, <laughs> tempted myself. Uh, but hey, I'm going to leave it at this. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the best uh, to get through the crisis unscathed uh, and uh, all the best with the company in general. Okay, thank you. Stay safe, Robin. Bye-bye. Thank you, you too. Stay safe and healthy and to our listeners as well. Thank you so much, Robin and Daniela, and best of luck to Tonic App. Our second interview is also recorded by Robin, and this man has been on fire over the past few weeks, believe me. This one features Startup Hansa. Startup Hansa is a series of events, but also an initiative to connect the ecosystem in Central Europe. So let's listen to Mark Curletto talking rather passionately about his idea and the ecosystem in Poland and the rest of Central Europe. So hey, this is uh, Robin from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here uh, at a safe distance, of course, calling in from Gdansk is uh, Matt Corletto. Uh, Matt describes himself on his LinkedIn profile as a ecosystem builder, serial entrepreneur, and a keynote speaker. Uh, but I'd rather you have a sort of a, a chance to explain it for yourself. Matt, who are you? Well, so I am a serial entrepreneur from Gdansk in Poland. I have uh, founded uh, four companies. Three of them were VC-backed startups. One is in the freezer, one is actually booming these days uh, because of the changes in the way we work. It's a simple scheduling tool. And uh, the third one is it's an AI platform to predict churn and build personalized offerings that we have implemented in telecoms and financial institutions. But and the biggest thing that uh, kind of uh, combines all is a software development company now, Terry, that's like the mothership of Uh, all of my ventures right now. And uh, since I've uh, passed uh, all of the operations uh, in the hands of my COO, my great partner, Mateusz Paprowski, I could focus uh, only on our culture and our strategy. So up to this coronavirus situation, uh, uh, I was uh, focused on building the right partnerships so in a couple of years we can become the venture builder because right now what we do is we help startups and enterprises build new digital products. We help them uh, implement artificial intelligence in the fields of predictive analytics, recommender system and human augmentation, 
but we are uh, we we want to move forward towards venture building and this is how the startup hansa focus came in 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 my uh in my life and my work great we'll talk about that in a second uh but just uh, to maybe get some context from you about poland as a startup ecosystem because a lot of people might not know uh what what goes on there so can you give a like an insider view on what the polish startup ecosystem looks like today well i would say that it's a very good representation of what's happening in the whole central europe i really believe that uh, the tipping point for central europe is coming right now and uh, regardless the coronavirus situation central europe is probably one of the best places right now to look for early stage investments as an investor uh, and also to look for tech talent uh, in uh, in in different ways of uh, engaging for startups if you look at europe europe is quite fragmented you don't need the london was the only place where you had everything like the capital the t- talent pool and enough market to grow from idea to to exit uh, uh, on a billion dollar valuation everything is in london all of the customers you need all of the developers you need all of the investors you need from angel to to those who invest in ipos so not a single other european city has it and only a few in the world and uh, in that situation the only thing we can do we have two options we can either try to build a comprehensive full end to an ecosystem in each city trying to fill a lot of blanks because uh, hey how can we have a stock exchange in berlin right now it's a very big effort to build it there's no stock exchange in berlin you have to move somewhere to exit and uh, this not this is not necessarily bad enterprises that are larger are leveraging global ecosystems putting the parts of the value chain in the places that are the most uh, beneficial for for them so they produce crops in ukraine then they breed cows in brazil they sell steaks in tokyo's but they take their loans in new york uh, and this is what startups has to start doing they has to start having their tech team in gdansk their marketing and sales team in berlin and raise a juicy series a in phoenix so what i'm basically hearing from you is that rather than uh, ecosystems sort of pinpointing what's lacking and what's not there compared to mature ecosystems, rather than trying to fill those holes, you sort of team up between ecosystems and, and go for each other's strengths. Yeah, because even if you look at Poland, you, spe- you ask specifically about Poland. So uh, Poland had tremendous growth in investment during the last year. Uh, and uh, both the number of the rounds and the valuation uh, and the... Uh, Amounts of investment on uh, on the rounds are uh, higher and higher. But at the same time, we have 12 times less dollars invested per 1,000 software developers than London. And that shows a huge gap. Because if you look at HackerRank or if you look at uh, Stack Overflow, developers in Central Europe are usually more crafty than what you can expect in the UK, which means that especially with this coronavirus situation, you can hire a developer from London that lives across the street, but you still have to work online with him and he doesn't know how to do it because his whole life he was in London and suddenly everyone is closer and you can work with the best teams in the world working online just like everyone has to do right now. And the advantage of those in Central Europe is that 
uh, we we created a, a quite a large association of software development companies. Altogether, we hire more than six thousand people, and we are all used to work remotely with our customers because most of us are working on international markets. Uh, so the world has never been closer together uh, in business, in digital business, than uh, than today. Great. So that sort of brings me to, uh, you've already mentioned uh, Startup Hansa, but uh, I'd love for you to sort of start from scratch. Like what, what is Startup Hansa? What, what do people need to know about it? Well, so Startup Hansa is, uh, is a new thing that I'm working on with uh, a, a lot of people supporting it from uh, starting from Startup Chile up to Dubai and in, uh, in the East. And uh, what we want to do is, we want to follow the path of Hanseatic League. This is how we came up with the name. So Hanseatic League, uh, it happened in 14th century. Gdańsk was just a small harbor. And uh, there were a lot of small harbors around Baltic Sea. And uh, uh, they, they were all trading very few goods compared to huge harbors like London. And what happened is they have actually invented kind of a blockchain because they started rewriting the ledgers of the ships that are going through those small harbors so that it stopped happening that everyone at once appears with the same goods in the same city, like everyone comes with crops to Lübeck, so no one can trade. And when they started rewriting the ledgers, knowing which ship goes where and with what goods on, they started trading more efficiently. Fast forward a few hundred years, but hey, the life was much slower these days. Uh, Gdańsk was one of the richest cities in the world, in uh, in Europe, uh, because of this cooperation, because of uh, the fact that many many cities started mapping what they are actually good at, and they started trading together in a more optimal way, building a common strategy for the region. And this is what we can repeat right now in the startup world. We can find our place in a global ecosystem that's integrated across different locations. And this is the, the primary vision of Startup Hansa, is to build an integrated ecosystem that spread across existing startup hubs and lets them focus on the good parts in the ecosystem that they have and fill the blanks with the partnerships from other uh, startup hubs that has strengths where we have weaknesses. Uh, so we want to become kind of the gardener. And the very important thing is that uh, we don't want to do it for profit. I really believe that we need to start experimenting with new business models, with new ways of evaluating the companies and evaluating what we do in our lives. Because the current way of just looking in the past and the past financial statements as the basis for what's the company worth today, I think it's very outdated. If you look at the pace uh, that the world is changing right now, uh, valuating my company on the uh, on the results from last year is probably not the, the best thing, considering that in lots of businesses, the environmental part, the social part uh, of the impact that this business has is completely not attached to its valuation. So the, the dream behind Startup Hansa, the long-term vision, is to engage top universities in the world, the economic uh, PhDs, and uh, build a, a forum 
where a new way of valuating companies will emerge, valuating based on the impact of on sustainability goals. And if we put the impact on sustainability goals as the highest value uh, in uh, the process of building the ecosystem, then we will be able to evaluate companies on this uh, on the substance of impacting it positively or negatively. And based on that, we want to build uh, the exchange on this and uh, and really measure the whole partnerships against the sustainability goals. Got it. Okay, that's uh, quite a mission and quite a, a history as well. Uh, what needs to happen for, for that vision to come true? Like, what's your game plan on this? We've already invited a few ambassadors. Uh, we've uh, done two events. We have uh, a few hundred people backing up this uh, this uh, this vision. Uh, the next steps are we are uh, opening a, a formal entities, uh, probably uh, if nothing changes during due, due to coronavirus by the end of this year, if not the next year. I already have uh, some co-founders uh, joining me with uh, uh, Robert Wukomski, uh, who used to be a CFO for uh, many companies working at uh, top consultancies like EY or PwC, uh, and Pavel Sobotkowski, who is an amazing networker working as a relationship builder in tech industry for years now. Um, we are still uh, building the, the founding team uh, for this whole organization, and we hopefully uh, will launch uh, on our mission full-time next year. Great. Uh, well, we'll certainly be watching. Uh, so thank you so much for clarifying what's going on with Startup Hansa. Uh, we'll keep an eye out. Uh, thanks also for uh, giving a little bit of insights on the Poland uh, ecosystem. Um, other than that, I wish you all the best. Thank you for your time. Stay safe, stay sane and uh, healthy. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything. Thanks, Robin. Stay healthy as well. And uh, yeah, let's uh, see how things roll out. Maybe the events come back and we can uh, high five one day again. Hopefully soon. Thank you so much. Now, it is great that things are brewing in the Central European startup ecosystem. I am always happy to hear positive news from that part of the continent. And before we wrap things up, let me take a minute for another shout out to our sponsor, Lark. If you are managing a remote team, and many of us do these days, you want to try Lark. It's got everything you need, chat, video conferencing, docs, calendar, everything really. You can sign up for free and receive 200 gigabytes of cloud storage, calls for up to 100 participants, and chat groups of up to 5,000 people. Get started for free at larksuite.com slash techEU. Again, that's L-A-R-K-S-U-I-T-E.com slash T-E-C-H-E-U. Thank you, Lark, for supporting TechEU podcast. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. Wherever you are, we hope you can stay safe and take care of yourself and people around you. Have a good week. Talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.